Hello, Tree of Life Church. God bless you. We welcome you tonight to our Wednesday evening Bible study, and we're thankful that you have joined us this evening. Uh, we look forward to a good time in the Word of the Lord. Uh, I do, before we go, before we go into our study, I do want to uh, take a moment and just kind of explain to you uh, some of the things that we're uh, experiencing and developing in regard to our building uh, program and why it is that we're teaching online uh, last week and tonight. Uh, and I just want to make sure to bring everybody up to speed. Uh, we are waiting for the uh, electricity to be cut off to our main building, which is where I'm sitting right now. And uh, I'll go ahead and give you a little uh, insight into the fact that as I'm speaking to you right now, I'm actually speaking to you on Monday night. This is Monday night, and you will be seeing this on Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, the reason that is is because we anticipate that electricity will be uh, shut off to this building anytime. Uh, we're waiting for word uh, back from Duke Energy, and it's a little unpredictable as to what their uh, schedule is, but we are expecting that from what they have told us for that to be anytime this week. So uh, it made sense for us to be in a position to, to uh, proceed with teaching Bible class online during the week. And then once they do uh, shut the electricity off to this building, we will be uh, having a generator in place and we will be operating by the, by the uh, generator on Sunday, Father's Day, uh, Lord willing, and the Sunday following that. Uh, will be operating uh, by way of generator as well. This building during the week uh, will, will not have access to the building as the electricity will be cut off. And so it will be important that the building not uh, have any activity going on in it during the week while the electricity is out. And that is the case for this Sunday and the following Sunday. The following Sunday, which is July 4th, uh, that's going to be a very special Sunday. On that Sunday morning, we're going to be joining with Grace Point Church, uh, Pastor and Sister Joe Sizemore, and we're going to be in, enjoying together a, a joint worship service. We're excited about it. We want everybody to make sure and be there. We're going to look forward to a good time in the presence of the Lord. I will be preaching that day, and I look forward to a great, great experience with our sister church, Grace Point Church, and uh, we know the Lord will bless and we'll have a great time in His presence. So we look forward to that. Uh, we will be uh, and are preparing the annex to hold services. So we expect that the annex will be where we are holding our services for the months of July and August. There may be some changes to that and we will make sure to communicate that with you well in advance so that you can be prepared. Also, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of work on the annex so that we can make it ready for the whole congregation to be there and be a part of that. And as soon as that is ready, we're gonna start holding our midweek services there. That could happen sooner than later and we'll make sure to make you uh, aware of that as that time approaches. So we anticipate holding our midweek services in the annex, again, sooner than later. But stay tuned, pay close attention. We want you to be well aware of all of our plans as we go through them week by week. Uh, we're calling this the summer of fun in Jesus' name uh, because of the fact that this summer uh, 
it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit flexible. We're having to be nimble with the fact that there's so much activity happening here at the site. Not only is this our church site, but this is also a construction site of a very large project. And a lot of that project right now is underground. Wires and plumbing and drains, both storm and sewer. And so we are, we are dealing with those things. Now, the good thing is that when we get out of this particular part of the project, we will be out from under the ground and we will be above ground. The work will be taking place above ground. That will allow us by the end of August to be back in our main building and, and all of our utilities uh, will be in place and ready to, to go forward with the new building. So that's much needed uh, part of this project. And so I do appreciate your flexibility and we are looking forward to gathering together sooner than later for midweeks. And I, I'm, I'm determined to make sure we can do that just as soon as possible. So do stay tuned as we continue in this process that we can uh, announce to you when the midweeks will commence where we'll be together at the annex. And we will also let you know uh, details as to the fact that we'll be worshiping at the annex. Our anticipate, we anticipate it being July 11th that we'll be worship, worshiping together at the annex on July 11th. You'll provide, we'll provide you more details uh, as we get closer to those dates as to anything that uh, will be expected. So uh, we thank God because he's good and he's with us and he's given us this vision and he's given us the grace to achieve it. And uh, these are exciting times, but they do involve a need for focus and a need for faithfulness and a need for flexibility. Amen. But we're going to go into the word of the Lord this evening. And, and before we do, I'll invite you just to say a word of prayer with me as we look to the Lord for, his, for guidance from his word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For every person that is tuning in tonight, I thank you for Tree of Life Church. I thank you for every person that calls Tree of Life home. God, I pray that your word would speak to us now. Help us to ready our hearts for you to put in us the good word of God. We love you, we thank you, and we give you the praise and the glory for all that you have done and are doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. We're continuing our study tonight on walking through the Bible, and we're going to uh, continue where we left off last week. Tonight I'm going to be speaking to you about Israel in Egypt. Israel in Egypt. Now, before I proceed, I just want to say, if you have not yet heard Brother Paul Brochu's message, a missionary to Paris, France, one of our very dear friends who ministered mightily this past Sunday, you definitely want to hear that message. He didn't know that we were in this uh, Bible study series, but my goodness, he spoke right to it. And so you'll, if you hear, heard Sunday's message, you're going to know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of things being repeated because uh, it spoke so clearly to where we are in this lesson. And of course, it speaks so clearly to where we are as God's people. And so God knows where we are, and God knows exactly what he's speaking to his church. And he is speaking to his church in these last days. Praise God. And these are the last days, folks. I know these are, these are challenging times. I know that the world is a challenging place in which to live. But we have no reason to hang our head. 
We lift our eyes. We look to the hills from which cometh our help. We know that God is in control and that, and that we just need to serve him and do his will, do his work, that his kingdom, his kingdom is being established in this earth. And, it's, and he's doing so through his church. But I want to begin tonight in this study, Israel in Egypt, from Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. So we're talking tonight about Israel in Egypt. Now, everything that we've said about Israel so far in these lessons have been related to Israel as a family. And before that, it was related to Israel as a man. Israel as a man. Before Israel was a nation, Israel was a man. His name had been Jacob, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Then Israel became 12 men, and these were the sons of Israel, and we've listed those and we've taught about those. And then, of course, Israel became 12 tribes, 12 tribes, and these were the families that descended from these 12 sons of uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So Israel started out as a man, started, went from being a man to being 12 men, and went from being 12 men to being 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes now are in the land of Egypt. We talked last week of how God so ordained Joseph through so many difficult circumstances to go before his brothers into the land of Egypt and prepare the way for them to come to Egypt in a time of famine. And now they're there. And the Bible describes in our text that, that all of these different tribes and all of these different sons of Jacob who had become Israel are now coming to the land of Egypt. But the Bible says Joseph was there already in Egypt. That's, that's important because that reinforces what we talked about last week, that Joseph was sent by God through all of his adversity to prepare a way for God's people to have a place, save them from the famine, and what God ended up doing with his people in Egypt was he developed them as a nation. They were developing as a people. And they had gone from just being a family to being a people. And they were the nation uh, and the children, I should say, the children of Israel. But they really didn't have a, a national identity yet. That was developing. What the Pharaoh noticed, though, as they grew and multiplied and increased with abundance, he realized that they were outnumbering the Egyptians, that they were actually becoming the larger group of people in the land of Egypt. God was blessing Abraham's children, and he was multiplying them, and they were increasing in abundance, and they had uh, blessings that came upon them in a very unique and powerful way. And Pharaoh took note of this. Now, very important verse of Scripture that we read. The Bible says Joseph died, Joseph's brethren died, 
and all that generation died. That happens, ladies and gentlemen. One generation passes away, and another generation cometh, the book of Ecclesiastes said. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. That's what the Bible says. And so one generation will pass away, and, and, and another generation will come onto the scene. And, and as one generation passes, it's a sad, it's a sad situation that one generation passes, and, and it's replaced with another generation, and there's great joy in another generation coming onto the scene. We have such sadness at the loss of loved ones, and we have such joy at the birth of children. And so it's an ongoing cycle that occurs. This generation, the one in which we live now, this generation will pass, and another generation will come, and so on, it will go until the Lord comes. And it's important for us to recognize that Joseph and all of his brethren and all that generation had passed off of the scene and a new Pharaoh had arisen. This Pharaoh observed the increase and the multiplication of the children of Israel and he was afraid. And he said, these are outnumbering us. And if an enemy were ever to come against Egypt, they could Theoretically, they could join forces with our enemies and they could rise up against us as well. So Pharaoh had a plan. His plan was to, to dominate the children of Israel, to take them into bondage. And he did. That's what he did. The Bible says he appointed taskmasters over the children of Israel. And he turned them into uh, to, to slaves and caused them to serve the Egyptians. And the Bible said that it was a rigorous uh, bondage and it was a rigorous labor, which means that it was cruel. It was a cruel labor. And, it, and he treated them cruelly. And, and so they fell under the bondage because Egypt uh, exercised their military might in enslaving the children of Israel. So here these people were that had lived there all their lives, had now multiple generations that had lived in the land of Egypt. They came there under good, uh, under, under a, a good reasoning and received welcomed arms. They were received by Joseph, but there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. He didn't know who Joseph was. And here Joseph was the savior of the world at that time. A type of Jesus Christ, if you please. He was, he was certainly a foreshadowing of just how Jesus would save the world. And here comes a Pharaoh who doesn't even know who Joseph is. And, I, and I, I need to point out the similarity to the world in which we live today. We're living in a world that is growing further and further from knowing who Jesus is. And what's really challenging is that so many who claim to know Jesus are watering him down. So many who claim to know Jesus are diluting his message. So many who have accepted the responsibility of handling the word of God are, are referring to Jesus as just one good way to approach God. When in fact, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Jesus. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. If anyone climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Some have quoted the scripture that Jesus used 
and made this statement. Jesus said, there are other sheep that I have that are not of this fold. Other sheep have I that are not of this fold. And many people have quoted that statement of Jesus, but that's where they stop. They don't quote the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage has Jesus saying, them also must I bring, and they're going to be a part of my sheep, and I will be a shepherd unto them. So Jesus, when he says there are other sheep that are not in my fold, he's just saying, look, I, I will be a shepherd to whoever will let me lead them. But you've got to let Jesus lead you. You're not one of his sheep if you're not letting him be the shepherd. So there are many people who misquote that, half quote it, and don't take it to the fullest extent of the truth that is being expressed in that verse of Scripture. And here, Joseph was the Savior of the world, and Pharaoh didn't even know who he was. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and the world in which we live doesn't know who he is. And Israel finds themselves now in a very strange place. Here's the fact of the matter. Did God take them there? Yes, God took them there. God allowed them to go. God allowed famine to come on the earth. God raised Joseph to go to Egypt to prepare a way, to store food for seven years, to have seven years of plenty in store for the seven years of famine, and would bring people from all over the world, including Israel. Now, why would God want Israel in Egypt? Why did God arrange Israel, arrange the plans and order the design for Israel to be in a place like Egypt, a place that was a far cry from what they had ever known and from what they really truly believed about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? Why did God do that? The reason that God did that, ladies and gentlemen, is because God was going to use Israel as the centerpiece for bringing the world to an understanding of who God is. Throughout the Old Testament, it is clear the references to the God of Israel. This God was like, unlike, he was unlike any of the other gods. The other gods of the people, they were idols. They, they, they were figments of the people's imagination. These gods of the people were, were idols that, that were just on shelves and in, in their living rooms and in their yards and in their temples, and they would go and worship them, and they would lay themselves down before these idols, and they would commit ritual acts, many of which were deeply disturbing. And they would do this to appease these these false gods, these were the gods of the people. And in many cases, there were thousands of them, hundreds of them, several of them. But that was different than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not an idol. He was not something that could be made with man's hands. He was not something that, that man could fashion with his imagination. Man did not create the God of Israel. The God of Israel created man. Hallelujah. I'm thankful God made me. I'm made in his image. He's not made in my image. I'm made in his image. Praise the Lord. And so Israel is in a place where many gods are worshipped. And they are, they are worshipers of one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God wanted that people, the people of Israel, to be able to stand as a testimony to the world that he is the Lord. 
Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, let's take it all the way back to the beginning where our lesson started, where the Bible starts, where the world starts. It all started with God wanting to have relationship with man that he created. This man and this woman that God created and, and he loved them and he gave them so much. And that relationship was broken by sin. That relationship was shattered by iniquity. The communion, the precious and blessed communion between God and mankind was shattered and broken. And so God has from that time continued to look for that communion with man. And, and that's what we have in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And where did Jesus Christ come from in the context of this earth? He came through the lineage of Abraham. He came through the lineage of Israel. And Israel, God was setting up Israel as the, as the symbol of his chosen people. What God can do for a people. A people who had nothing. A people who had no hope. A people who had no home even at that time when they were in Egypt. But God had given promises to their father. And God had given promises to their patriarchs. And the promises that he gave to them was, I have a land for you, a land that flows with milk and honey. I have a place where you can live and thrive, a place where you can raise your family. I want you to know that God has a place for you. It's a place of peace. It's a place of hope. It's a place of contentment. It's a place of love. It's a place of joy. That's what God has in mind for every human being that has ever been created. God has in his heart and in his mind a place prepared for you. But, but it's, it's, you've got to find it. You, it's not wherever you are. You, you and I are lost without the leadership of God in our life. So God begins to lead the world to himself by by reaching Israel by exalting Israel, by lifting them up as a people that have been chosen for his name's sake, for his name's sake. And so now the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt and they cried by reason of their affliction. They cried because of the bondage that they were under. And the Bible says the Lord heard their cry and the Lord saw their affliction we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how that the names of Jacob's children really correlate with the history and the timeline of Israel's history and, and destiny. And it, it unfolds throughout the scriptures. But, but here they are at the very outset, at the very beginning, they're crying out to the God of Abraham. God hears their cry. Brother Brochu said on Sunday concerning that very scripture, it's amazing that what he preached on Sunday and what I'm teaching tonight are so, I mean, they're basically the same thing. And they're so closely related. I've preached enough conventions to know that when, when you and another preacher don't coordinate necessarily and end up preaching about the same thing, that's God trying to get somebody's attention and you just go with it because the Lord wants his people to hear his word. So I'm going to go ahead and teach what the Lord has had in store for us. And the fact of the matter is when they cried unto the Lord, the Lord heard their cry. Cry unto the Lord. 
and he will hear your cry. I love the old song. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He will hear your faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer wheel turning, then you know that the fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus and it makes it right. Amen. Glory to God. And he saw their affliction and he heard their cry. And so the Lord knew that they were in trouble. Now the Bible says at that same time, Pharaoh had put out a, a, a decree that every man-child of the Hebrews was to be killed. That the girls could be saved alive, but the boys, they had to be killed. That, that's, that's, that's really something very similar to what's happening now. Clearly, in the case of abortion, with regard to the fact that there is a, that there is a, a just an absolute uh, slaughter of, of the babies that are in the womb. It's a terrifying sin that has overtaken our land and become normalized, and it's a violent act against the innocent. And, and not only in that way, but also in the fact that, that the, it was the boys that were targeted. And there is an effort in our society to destroy the concept of, of, a, of a man, the concept of a man of God. And, and that is alive and well in our society. And why is that? That's because man and woman are made in the image of God. And so if the enemy can distort the way you see men and women or make you think there is no difference between a man and a woman and that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man, if the, if the enemy can make you think that way, then he can distort your view of God. But the fact of the matter is man and woman are each made in the image of God uniquely. The man represents a part of God that the woman can't represent. And the woman represents a part of God that the man can't represent. And they are, they are to reflect the glory of God. And in fact, the man as the husband in the marriage relationship represents Christ. And the woman in the marriage relationship represents the church. And it's a beautiful relationship between husband and wife, just as it's a beautiful relationship between Christ and his church. Praise the Lord. And so this is important for us to understand because the same spirits that were unleashed in the world in this first chapter of the book of Exodus are the same kinds of spirits that we are fighting in spiritual warfare today. And, and that's, what, that's what they were up against. The Bible says that there was a man of the tribe of Levi who married a daughter of the Levites. And his name was Amram. He married a young lady by the name of Jochebed. Together they had three children, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Now these people had to be tremendous people. They had to be upstanding people. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that these, these people were remarkable in the children that they raised. We look at their three children. Aaron was the first priest in the Levitical uh, order of the priesthood. Moses, of course, was the great prophet that God anointed and selected to lead the people of God out of Egypt. And Miriam herself was a prophetess and, and famously led the daughters of Zion in a praise to the Lord following the Red Sea miracle. And so this, these three are excellent reflections of Amram and Jochebed. Now, we know Amram and Jochebed's name from later uh, portions of Scripture in the book of Numbers. But 
In Hebrews chapter uh, 11, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Moses' life, the first three months of his life, were integral part of him being used of God and anointed of God. And the act of faith that lifted Moses in the first part of his life was not his act of faith, but his parents' act of faith. It was his parents who hid him for three months. They hid him because if he had been found, he would have been killed by the Egyptians. Moses had a death warrant over his head when he was a newborn. Pharaoh had issued a decree that Moses should die because every man-child had to die in Pharaoh's Egypt. But by faith, his parents hid him for three months because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They saw something in Moses. They knew that the hand of God was upon his life. And they hid him for the space of three months. Can you imagine trying to hide a newborn for three months? That's a long time. He would cry and they're trying to hide him. They're going without sleep. We've got a grandbaby now, and we're, we see our daughter and son-in-law taking care of our little grandbaby, and, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But, but my goodness, for three months, they had to keep secret the fact that they had a baby because if they had let it be known, Moses would have been killed by the king. But the Bible says that for two reasons they hid him. One, they saw that he was a proper child, and two, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. We've got to get that in our spirit, ladies and gentlemen. When the king's commandment contradicts God's word, we stand on God's word. That is where our loyalty lies, is in the word of the Lord. We have to get that in our soul. We may be living in a type of Egypt. We may be living in a, in a structured system, if you please, a world system that is akin to to governments of, of years gone by and of eras gone by. But, but regardless of what the king's commandment is, we, we are to obey the king, we're to fear the king, honor the king. The Bible tells us to do that. But when it comes to violating God's law, then it's clear we stand for God's law. And they stood for God's law. They did not fear the king's commandment. And they stood strong. By faith, they stood strong. That faith raised Moses. Now, to give you insight, an amazing thing happens. They set him sail. They actually prepare an ark. His mother, Jochebed, prepares an ark and puts that ark in the, in the stream, in the bulrushes. And the Bible says that she sent it, laid it in the flags by the river's bank, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and the maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. She strategically placed Moses' little waterproof basket by the flags near the water where Pharaoh's daughter would come to wash. And when Pharaoh's daughter was there, it was set up that she would see this basket with a baby that had been set aside. What an act of faith. 
And she knew that this was a baby. She opened it, she saw the child, and the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knew that this was a Hebrew child, and she drew him out of the water, and that's where he got his name. He got his name Moses because he was drawn out of the water. Now, I just want to say that we see a little parallel here to baptism. And I love this in the Old Testament. You get into these, this Old Testament and you start seeing little things here and there that match up to the, to the truth of the new, new Covenant. We see a little parallel here to baptism. When did he get his name? When he was drawn out of the water, he got his name. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, that's when our name comes upon us. I don't know what your name is, but when you go down in those waters in the precious name of Jesus Christ, as far as God is concerned, you've got a new name on you. My name is Joel. My name is Joel Urshan. But when I went down in those waters of baptism, I went down in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I came up and the old man of Joel was still in the water. But the new man, hallelujah, created in Christ Jesus, was able to walk free of the sin I had committed in my past. Moses received his name when he was drawn up out of the water. Praise the Lord. And so... He was raised among the Egyptians, but the Bible says that his mother was able to nurse him. Miriam, his sister, was nearby and offered, offered to help. And so his mother was able to nurse him. Moses was able to be exposed to both the world of the Egyptians and he was able to be anchored to the world of the Hebrews. He knew both ways of thinking. And, and this is the way Moses lived his life. And don't you see the handiwork of God in that? Because God was going to raise this child up to do something great for his name. He was going to do something great for his, for his people. And the Bible says that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, see the faith of Jochebed and Amram, that faith was alive in Moses. If you will practice faith in God in front of your children, it will put faith in them. If you will practice faithfulness, it will put faith in them. If you will, if you will trust in the Lord with all your heart, they're going to start trusting in the Lord with all their heart. But they've got to see you do it. They've got to see it come from you. Moses was raised by a mother and a father who did not fear the king's commandment, a mother and a father who were not afraid to put all their trust in the Lord, and, and as a result, when Moses was come to years, when it was his time to make hard decisions, notice this in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he got older, here he was living in two different worlds. One world of the Egyptians exposed to all their understanding and all their teaching and all the pomp and the circumstance knowing what they believed, knowing how many gods they served, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter's daughter. He didn't want to be known any longer by his Egyptian identity. He wanted to, in verse 25, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm telling you that speaks right to where we are. 
Because that's all that the pleasures of sin are. They're just for a season. They're just for a season. And Moses, when he was come to years, he said, I don't want this anymore. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want the ways of this world. I don't want this world system. He felt something pulling on him. Something inside of him that was telling him there's something more here. There's something that God has for me that I have to live up to and I have to attain unto. And he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, Pastor Joel, I don't know if I could refuse this world's temptations. I don't know if I could refuse to, 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 to follow the path of this world. I mean, that's a tough call. You know how he did it? He did it by faith. You know how you're going to do it? You're going to do it by faith. Amen. you got to pray to have faith. you got to read the Bible to have faith. you got to come to church to have your faith built. Amen. So let God build up your most holy faith. And here's Moses in Egypt, but he's refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's Moses in Egypt, but he's choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 11, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, I want you to know what that means. That means that Moses looked at the reproach of Messiah, the reproach. What was the reproach of Messiah? The reproach of Messiah is that we are God's people and he will save us and he has a land prepared for us. And we're not to be stuck and stranded and enslaved in Egypt, but we are to live in the promises and the fullness and the power of Almighty God. And that he esteemed that reproach greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Do you know what kind of riches we're talking about in Egypt? Do you know the kind of treasures there are in Egypt that Moses had access to, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter? But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And he esteemed the reproach of Messiah to be of greater value than the treasures in Egypt because he had faith had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That, meant, that means he knew what was waiting on the other side. Hey, let me tell you something. When you serve the Lord, great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. You hold on to that promise because that promise stands sure. Verse number 27, by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds familiar. Sounds like Amram and Jochebed put something in Moses that they had in themselves. They didn't fear the king's commandment. And in verse number 27, Moses didn't fear the wrath of the king. I'm telling you, if you live for God with all your heart, it'll put something down inside of your children. Amen. If you'll give them faith, if you'll have faith in God, God will give them the faith that you have. Praise the Lord, not fearing the wrath of the king. And I love this, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured, endured what? He endured plagues. He endured the flight that he took when he left Egypt. He endured. He endured the hardship of the wilderness. He endured the grumbling of Israel. He endured the many battles 
that confronted the people of Israel, he endured. There were so many things that Moses endured, and he did it as seeing him who is invisible. Who's invisible? The God of Israel is invisible. Remember, we talked about the fact that he's different than the other gods. All the gods of the people, they're a bunch of idols. But, but the God of Israel is invisible. But Moses sees him who is invisible. He, he, he sees him. How does he see him? He sees him by faith. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw him by faith. I contend tonight that the same faith you have in Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's cross is the same faith Moses had in Jesus Christ and what he was going to do upon the cross. Because there's only one faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that one faith is the faith that the Old Testament prophets had in Messiah, and it's the faith that the New Testament apostles had in Messiah, and it's the faith that we have in Messiah today. One faith. And Moses, by that faith, forsook Egypt. By that faith in Christ, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. By that faith, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. By that faith, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, that makes me want to shout. That makes me want to give God all the praise. I might have to, I might have to go into this part again when we all get together, uh, hopefully, hopefully next week. I'll give, you, I'll give you the details for sure. We'll make a, a solid announcement. But I, as soon as we can all get together, I might have to go into this again so we can all shout about it together. I hope you just lift your hands and praise the Lord right where you are because it is good to praise the Lord. What an amazing and beautiful truth this is. Notice what else it says. Through faith... Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Through faith, Moses did that. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. He, through faith, obeyed God's word. Through faith, he kept the details of the law. Through faith, he did it, lest the firstborn should be destroyed. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do it, they drowned. This is the faith that Moses had in God, and this is the kind of man God raised up to deliver the children of Israel. And so God raised up Moses to do this. Moses, of course, while he is in this process of kind of figuring things out, the Bible says that he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. Moses couldn't handle that. He tried to break it up, tried to prevent the taskmaster from doing it. A fight ensued. He ended up, he ended up fighting the man back and, and accidentally killed him. He ended up in his rage. He didn't intend to do that when, when it started, but as the rage developed, he killed him. And later... Later, he learned because he tried to disrupt a fight that was taking place. And someone said to him, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian taskmaster? And Moses 
knew that his secret was known in Egypt. He fled for his life. He fled for his life. And when he fled for his life, he found himself on the backside of a desert. And for about 40 years, he just tried to leave it all behind him. Never would he plan to go back. Egypt was a part of his past. But when the destiny and anointing of God is upon a person's life, you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. God has a purpose for your life, and he did for the life of Moses. And we'll talk about that at our next Bible lesson. When God began to call Moses' name and bring him back into the path of his divine purpose. Why? Because God was going to take Israel, who they were in Egypt, but God was going to take them out of Egypt and he was going to deliver them into his land of promise that he had promised unto their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you to know tonight that we might live in this world, that God has a land of promise for you. You might live in a land of confusion, a land of false gods, a land of all sorts of turmoil. But God has a place prepared for you that where he is, you can be there also. And just as he delivered the children of Israel out of their bondage, he wants to deliver you out of your bondage. And just as the Lord overthrew the adversary that had enslaved Israel, he wants to overthrow the adversary that seeks to enslave you. This is a beautiful testimony of God's delivering power. But I want you to know, when you experience it in your own life, it's going to be the most amazing experience of your life when God delivers you out of the hand of bondage. Praise God. Let this be an inspiration to you. That yes, the circumstances of life have brought you to where you are. And, and yes, there are adversaries that seek to enslave you. But God's always got a plan. And he's raising up the right circumstances. And there's always a Moses in the making. Just as Joseph delivered the children of Israel from the famine. Moses delivered the children of Israel from the Egyptian bondage. And both serve as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who will deliver you today from your spiritual famine and from your spiritual bondage in Jesus' name. Could you pray with me right now? Just lift up your hands. Just close your eyes, if you will, in the name of Jesus. And let's ask God to bless us right now. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word has power, and I feel your power going from this place into every place that is hearing your word. And I pray, God, that we'll be more than hearers, but that we'll be doers of the word. Let us have faith, Lord. Let us live faithfully. Let us practice faith. Praise God. When the going gets tough, let us exercise faith like Amram and Jochebed, like Moses of old. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a, a, a freedom from fear, that we not fear the edict of any unrighteous ruler, but that we would follow you with all of our heart and lean upon your holy word and stand upon your precious promises. God, that we can step into the liberty wherewith you have made us free. In Jesus' name we pray. And we give you the glory forward in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And we will provide further details to you about our midweek services going forward. God bless you in Jesus' name.